politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, non-rioters and looters to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house on Tuesday, June the 2nd in the month of anarchy and tyranny in this country. Folks, when will it be time to flatten the curve, to flatten the curve of violence and victimization and unjustly committed crime that goes without justice served? Let me tell you something. I will never kneel or submit to an anarchist mob. We have nothing to kneel to. We have nothing to apologize for. The, the, the only person responsible for the killing of George Floyd, who, by the way, was no saint, so let's not make him a saint, is the cop who did it, which justice is being served very swiftly in that case, unlike in all the other cases. Who is going to serve the justice for the four cops shot last night in St. Louis, one in critical condition, the one killed in Las Vegas last night? The cop run over in Buffalo last night. The ones beaten in New York City and Manhattan last night and all over. What about the civilians nearly beaten to death, being dragged out of their cars in grisly ways? Are these people ever going to face justice? No. That, my friends, is the bigger systemic narrative, the systemic injustice taking place than anything they want to make out of George Floyd. As we're going to prove today, what happened to George Floyd is not systemic at all, and the data actually show it. First, I want to just start off with Trump, his announcement last night, and Tucker Carlson. Tucker last night had what was one of the best monologues ever, a nine-minute monologue, you should go back and hear it, where finally someone at that level said what you hear on this show every day. Finally, he took the fight directly to Trump, called out Pence and Kushner by name for destroying Trump's campaign promises, and then pressured the president himself. You promised law and order. Enough of this business. Stop with this peaceful protest business. There's nothing peaceful about it. And deter it. And guess what happens when the president gets pressure from his right flank, he acts on it. It's like what I say all the time. Every time I put pressure on the president and say, look, you know, you're going back on your promises. Everyone's like, shut up, Daniel. Would you rather have a Democrat win? I'm like, you idiot. There's a third choice. It's not a matter of Trump or a Democrat. It's a matter of Trump acting like a Democrat or you pressure him to act like in, in, in accordance with his campaign promises. And most often, when you get in his face, he'll listen to you. If you don't, the Kushners of the world will win out. It's that simple. I wish we had this version of Tucker the last three years, but God bless him for using his political capital, his connections, unflinchingly going after these people. It was a beautiful sight. I'm also glad that he went after that ridiculous head of the Heritage Foundation, K. Cole James, who wrote a whole column There's racial injustice in America, but it doesn't justify looting and rioting. There's no racial injustice. What are you talking about? You know, a lot of you really, I, you know, got a lot of feedback. You were riveted by yesterday's show. And I guess most of you don't hear this type of content too often. 
and I think a lot of you were surprised by this perspective I offered that to mollycoddle an entire race of people because of an action of one person, treat their grievances more than anyone else's, treat their successes greater than anyone else's, that in itself is a soft form of bigotry. Whatever happened to true equality? But instead, one Republican after another is agreeing to this premise that, you know, John Thune, Pat Toomey, Tim Scott, all these Republican senators, yeah, you know, uh, I don't like the, the, the words the president used. Who are you? Yeah, there, there's, there's some, we, we grieve with George Floyd. Why is that more of a grievance than anything else? You know, one of the things we saw with the lockdowns and the whole lie of the virus is that they'll narrowly focus on one thing and then drive a public policy narrative around a viral stat or video. And it's not like there's no truth. Every lie is a truth to it. There was a virus. It was, it was serious for a lot of people. Except the lockdown actually was built on a lie, had an insane amount of collateral damage, and killed more people from COVID. Same thing here. It's not that... George Floyd likely was wrongly killed by a cop. He was. But what they want to do with it, the narrative that they want to drive with it, that first of all, somehow this was racially motivated. Every Republican senator and phony conservative commentator keeps saying that. It, you, you, why is it that in order to emphatically denounce something you have to also call it racist where's the evidence there was any racial animus there why do we assume anytime there's an interaction between a white and a, and a black it happens to be racial again i mean blacks commit 10 times more crime to whites and we don't assume every time it's racial it depends on the situation often the guy wanted money wanted to rob he was on drugs or whatever it's not always racial there's no evidence of that whatsoever that's number one. Number two, the guy is guy got indicted very swiftly. Believe me, he will get justice. Probably a lot stronger punishment than, you know, had the victim been white in that case. Probably won't even get a fair trial. I'm not trying to defend the guy, I'm just saying in reality. But the no but what they want to do with it is say, aha. Here's what we want to do. We need to further push police, police off their policing, and we need to further reduce incarceration. That's where they're headed with this. The same way they were headed with it when this started in 2015 after Ferguson and Freddie Gray which, and Trayvon, which unlike this case, they, they were totally justified. One case was a civilian. Two were um, police. They were, they were under attack. Complete BS narrative in those cases, and it led to the turning, I mean, that was the turning point, 2015, we had endless gains against violent crime from 1993 to 2015, that's when we started reducing the trend, and that's what spawned this whole criminal justice deform movement, that's what they want to push with it, but instead my colleagues want to make cheap gains, cheap gains, they want cheap ephemeral talking points See, uh, you Democrats are really more, we're more pro-black than you are. We're more racially sensitive than you. No, no, it's you. No, no. make a truthful argument based in public safety, prudence, and equity. 
you know what what I mean by that for example is um and, and I'm very surprised I don't mean to just single him out um where is this Ben Shapiro tweeted out um you can't simultaneously pitch the idea that America's irredeemably racist and corrupt and evil and the idea that this will be fixed by voting for um where is this guy a white man who co-sponsored the 1994 crime bill now i get it he's trying to point out the hypocrisy of the left like you know as long as you're a democrat it's okay under your system i don't know if he's necessarily trying to say that he himself opposes the 94 crime bill because ben seems to be where i am on crime from what i've seen from him but I'm saying generally, this is what I've seen from a lot of conservative commentators. Like they're trying to out left the left on throwing the 94 crime bill and, and the Giuliani policing under the bus when the reality is, and I, and I know Ben agrees to this because he said it before. So I'm pretty, I'm almost positive he does agree that you look at the last two decades. We used to have 2000 murders a year in New York City. It went down to like one eighth of that. Most of those were blacks. Do you know how many black lives were saved? Thousands upon thousands of black lives over the course of 20 years just in New York City alone. From those so-called aggressive police tactics, longer sentencing, that they want to use George Floyd as an impetus to end. You will wind up killing exponentially more black people as a result of that. And other people too. I only use the word black just because they're making this racial. Under our system... You do the crime, you do the time. It's colorblind. But they want to take apart and dismantle criminal justice by saying somehow it disproportionately targets blacks when the reality is their crime rate is greater than their proportion of the jail population and prison population. They have an under-incarceration problem and the, the, almost all the victims of that are other black victims. And most blacks, even though they, you know, among the criminals... A much larger share are black, but most people aren't criminals. So most African-Americans obviously are law-abiding, just like anyone else. So those are the people you're hurting. That's what's so dangerous about conservatives running away from the argument. Trying to give a parsimonious argument instead of, you know, yeah, you guys, racial injustice, you, we, we, we kneel with you, we mourn with you, just please don't riot. No. This whole police kneeling business? What about Cody Holt? The police officer killed by a black criminal who should have been locked out up that had a career history wasn't like most criminals. First police officer death in Grand Forks, North Dakota in 33 years. Are we going to make every black kneel to a police officer or a white person because of that? No. Because people are individuals. They're not responsible for that uh, Solomon Pendleton guy who allegedly killed the police officer, the same way whites and police aren't responsible for the cop that killed George Floyd. But this whole thing that there's this systemic valid grievance, systemic racism, systemic over-policing, it's bunk. If anything, it's the other way around by a mile. So that's why this whole kneeling culture is unjustified. Let's unpack the data. Let's unpack this a little bit. So, if you look at the Washington Post searchable database on police shootings, there were nine unarmed blacks who were shot dead by cops in 2019. Okay, nine. 
there were 19 unarmed whites that shared the same fate. Now you might say, well, it's still a greater proportion than the black proportion. But again, as we're gonna, as I'm gonna show you from data in a minute, they commit such an inordinate amount of crime that if anything, if you actually adjust for um, the amount of crime they commit and therefore the amount of violent interactions that police will naturally have with them, there's actually an overrepresentation of unarmed whites shot than unarmed blacks. That is a fact. You could sue me. You could call me names. That is a fact. But here's the deal. If you go through each of the nine cases from 2019, you'll find that not a single one of them was like Eric Gardner or George Floyd. Those are the only two examples they have of 375 million annual police interactions with citizens disproportionately with blacks because that's where the crime is. And those are the only unjustified deaths that we can even find. And they're unjustified deaths. They're not racially motivated and there's certainly no proof of that. But here are the nine. Prosecutors declined to bring charges against Officer Dylan Williams for killing Chinara Peep after five witnesses corroborated his story that Peep choked him, grabbed his taser, and used it on him during a struggle. Remember, this is the rule, not the exception. So you hear an unarmed black, this is usually the case. Officer shot Ryan Twyan under investigation for illegal gun charges after he backed up his car into the deputy. There's a video of him. So he didn't have a weapon, but he had a car and he was going to crush the deputy. He shot him. Next, police shot Atlanta uh, Atalina, Atalina Jefferson through the window of her home. Not um, Basically, um, she apparently actually did have a gun and pointed it at the officer. So for some reason, the Washington Post lists that. Four, Deputy Glenn Sims shot Christopher Whitfield. According to the deputy, he shot him accidentally during a scuffle. Okay? So it was during a scuffle. Remember, I mean, just because the guy didn't have a gun, if he's going for your gun and scuffling with you, it's a different story. Two officers in Oklahoma shot Isaiah Lewis. He was running naked and charged an officer, beating him unconscious, after which his partner shot and killed him. Which, again, how many times have police been killed and taken beatings because they were so late to use underwhelming, and used underwhelming force, or, or they were too late in using it? Right, that's never talked about. For every, we only have two examples, Eric Gardner and George Floyd. We only have two examples 370 million police interactions. And we never talk about all the cops killed from being too weak because they're too scared of getting in trouble. And again, so many of these people are on drugs. That's part of the problem. Six, officers shot Marcus McVeigh, a renowned criminal with a long list of violent felonies, after chasing him into the woods where an altercation ensued. Seven, Marzu Scott attacked a store employee, then attacked a female police officer, knocking her to the ground, who then shot and killed him. Right? I mean, obviously, I mean, this was a big, strong guy. That female cop had no chance. She would have been killed. That was it. Eight, police killed Kevin Bruce Mason after a standoff 
with officers. He threatened to kill them if they came any closer. In 1980, he exchanged fire with police officers, injuring one. Nine, Officer Giovanni Crespo shot and killed Gregory C. Griffin after a high-speed car chase. Um, in the video, he shouts that the suspects have a gun. The windows are tinted. So, I mean, now, remember, the Washington Post database is only shootings. So there's no database of, like, chokings. But we seem to hear about everyone because everyone spawns a riot or at least political protest in action. You could take any video of any wrongdoing and make a narrative off it. This is bullcrap. That's actually a pretty remarkable record from police, given the degree of violence they have to deal with. Because remember the needle they have to thread. They are all on drugs nowadays. All of them. All these people are like, oh, Daniel, we need to, drugs are awesome. We need to, yeah, let's be permissive. So we have this permissive attitude towards drugs. But the problem is they get violent. So what are you supposed to do? You often have to use deadly force because if you draw your gun, they're not deterred. You often have to shoot them multiple times. I mean, this is what happened with Freddie Gray and, and, and the Ferguson dude. That's the story. If anything, if you look at the 19 whites who were shot by police, there's more grievances there. There was not a single one ruled by prosecutors as unjustified. In the case of, of, of black victims, if you want to call them victims, there weren't really victims. Among the whites, I found, I and mean, I just did a sampling of them. I didn't go through all 19, but I went through a few of them. Last August, a Dallas cop shot at a dog charging towards him and wound up killing the white female owner. Okay? She was a 30-year-old white female owner. Now, I don't know what the circumstance was, and I don't necessarily blame him. You know, a deadly dog coming towards him, he shot accidentally wound up killing the owner i don't think he's at fault i'm just telling you had that happened to a black you would have had riots there were no riots because the media doesn't build an expectation that somehow any person who happens to be white killed it becomes a grievance mongering for everyone who happens to be white and a license for them to protest much less um riot there was also a houston couple killed in a botched drug raid Two police officers were actually indicted for tampering with the evidence. Never any protests there, nor would any, anyone have ever tolerated it. We should expect the same from all human beings. Folks, this whole thing's a lie. Researchers from the University of Michigan and University of Maryland published last August an analysis of 917 police, fatal police interactions in 2015 that was the big year that kicked all this off here's a quote from their conclusion we did not find evidence for anti-black or anti-hispanic disparity in police use of force across all shootings and if anything found anti-white disparities when controlling for race-specific crime in other words they mean if you look at the degree of crime committed by blacks which naturally put them there um if anything, it was the other way around. Okay? Why? Because simply they found, quote, officers are less likely, less likely to fatally shoot black civilians for fear of public and legal reprisals. And therefore, all these equal, all else equal, this would increase the likelihood that a person fatally shot was white versus black. They concluded that, quote, per capita racial disparity in fatal shootings 
is explained by non-whites greater exposure to the police through crime. Right. That's the only reason why you see it. But again, it's like I'm just saying, like, let's say blacks commit, you know. I forget what it is 15 times more per capita violent crime than whites. They're, they're not they're, they don't account for um, 15 to one ratio of of um, fatal police shootings against them. It's more like two to one or something. So it's much less. Which, again, th- th- this is the thing. Everything the media puts out that the conservative, phony conservative media just lops up turns out to be the exact opposite is true. And I'm not going to run away from that. When I was a kid, I used to be scared of dogs and, and I always ran. And then I finally learned, well, they chase you because you're running. It's time to hold our ground. I'm not going to allow this narrative to get off the ground. And I, I just want to point out for a minute, you know, the autopsy did show even in the case of, of Floyd, which is the rare case of, of a totally unjustified, you know, presumably unjustified force. Um, it, it lists as a comorbidity meth and fentanyl. That means he was on meth and fentanyl. I, I know he's God's gift to the world. I mean, we need to bow down to him. Again, not, not to say that he necessarily deserved to die, but I'm just saying this whole business that he's somehow a saint and in his memory, give me a freaking break. He was, um, he was convicted of armed robbery. Oh, well, Daniel, he turned his life around in the last 10 years. Well, according to the autopsy, he was on meth and fentanyl. We, we see a very amicable arrest before, and then we see the guy's knee on his neck for nine minutes after. But what we don't know about is what happened in between, which they say there was, an alter, there was clearly some sort of altercation. So I want to point out a couple of things here. I'm not justifying it, and it's very hard to envision a scenario where, you know, you know, you know. I, and believe me, I say this all the time. They beat people to within an inch of their lives. They get very violent, and it's very hard to sit in armchair quarterback against them with gray areas of when, you know, how much force and for how long. But I think we all agree that, you know, unless there's something we're really missing, this went way too long. But I'm just telling you, it, it appears, even in this case, which is like the worst case we're seeing, it's, not, it's likely not out of nowhere. He was a huge, big, strong man. Now we know on fentanyl and meth. Okay, so we got to find out more what happened, but I also talk about the fentanyl and meth for two more reasons. Number one, just, you know, it colors what happened a little bit that it listed as a comorbidity. So, you know, you, you would have to interview the coroner because it's a very top-line report. They don't go into depth. How much meth and fentanyl would he have... Was, was it overdose level? Was he going to die anyway? You know, how much contributed? But I'm just saying it could very well be that there's a difference between a cop like, I'm just going to literally choke the guy to death just like on purpose versus in his mind, he didn't think he was going to die from it. Not to justify, not to say you shouldn't get punished and wasn't wrong, but he didn't know about or didn't realize with the meth and fentanyl, the fentanyl stopped the heart. So we don't know that. I mean, but I'm just saying that that is a very important thing to know. And the other final reason is, even assuming this was totally unjustified, which we're going to assume for 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 now. And again, he is getting justice. You cannot imagine what police are confronted with on a daily basis. 95% of the time when they're called to an altercation, 
one or all of the people involved are on drugs and they're on more deadly drugs than ever before. And they get extremely violent. I mean, heck, that's why they went from the nine cal and to invent the 45, uh, nine millimeter invent the 45 cal was in the Spanish American war. They were getting doped up on the, on the plants in the, in the islands there and they'd come at them with hatchets and the nines wouldn't stop them. I mean, it's very hard to somehow apprehend them, diffuse the situation protect bystanders and other people and victims while also ensuring you don't get killed while not, but while somehow not using deadly force. When drugs are involved, that is a lot harder than you think. The fact that we only have, that we have such few examples of, of mistakes, much less malfeasance is actually a testament to the professionalism of, of cops. And I think that should be applauded. Obviously, that's no solace to one individual case that's wrong. And you deal with that like any individual case of justice, which is being dealt with. I mean, remember, the Rodney King riots, let's not forget, that was after an acquittal. At least they waited for that. Here, there's no evidence that there, there, there's going to be a problem here. If anything, it's quite clear that... He will have justice served and likely much, you know, disproportionate to what it would have been, frankly, if it would have been someone who was white. It's that simple. But five cops were shot last night. One's in critical condition. Another cop was run over by a protester in Buffalo. Where's their justice? Where's the justice for that guy beaten nearly to death in... Um, in Dallas. Last year, 49 police officers were killed. 30% of the suspects were black. Blacks composed about 12% of the population. 30% of the cop killers were black. So far this year, actually the number of cops killed so far as of May 1st was more than that time last year, despite two months of lockdown. Has anyone made that a racial issue? Do they have to kneel in front of cops? Do whites get to riot and, and everyone gets, gets to grieve with them? No. Because individual criminals alone are the people who are responsible. And that should be always the way we treat that. Then, then of course, is the black on black crimes, folks. Just over this past weekend, 82 individuals were shot, 22 of them fatally, in Chicago. I don't have a racial count, but I mean... It's almost certain that almost all of them were black. When, when, what they want to do by building this false narrative will get more blacks killed again. Last year, so this year we have the case of Floyd. Last year, there is no single case on record of an unjustified police killing of a black. Yet last year, 7,400 blacks were killed of homicide. Roughly 90% of them by by um by blacks and the other 10% doesn't mean they're necessarily white it could be hispanic i would have to look into that data new york city police are just totally getting crushed all the gains made in manhattan and some of these neighborhoods we now have crime rampant now who gets harmed by that 
Let me give you some New York crime data from 2018. Of the 209 homicide suspects in 2018 whose race is known, 149 or 71% were black or black Hispanic. 19% were white Hispanic. Just 6.6% were white. In other words, 93.4% of all homicides in New York City were committed by so-called minorities. Even though whites are really the minority there. At the same time, however, of the 289 homicide victims whose race was documented, 9% were white, 19% were white Hispanic, 68% were black Hispanic, but were black or black Hispanic. So blacks compose 71% of the homicide pie in New York City in 2018 and 68% of the victims. Do black lives really matter to these people or, or is it only the ones that can be used as political footballs to promulgate a false narrative? I'm just telling you we have an obligation to speak the truth because it's not just a principle. This is very, very dangerous. If the death of George Floyd somehow justifies widespread uprisings from everyone connected to him simply by their color of skin, we should have riots every day on account of grievances by other groups of people that appear to be much more aggrieved in terms of crime victimization and lack of justice. Remember, this guy... This cop is going to be met with justice. Look at how many victims of crime, often by African-American criminals, never get justice. Murder, rape, assault, the knockout crimes. Which leads me to the next thing I want to talk about, my other article I have out today, about this grisly thing of setting up checkpoints and blocking cars and making them make a decision of running through and then they'll block your way because they're on drugs and they don't get out of the way and they self-immolate and you'll get blamed for killing them or that you wait till they drag you out of your car and beat you and hope you still have a heartbeat. We all saw this. We all saw this. I'll never forget when I was, I was only seven years old. April 29th, 1992. Live TV. We all saw Reginald Denny truck driver is driving a tractor of some sorts was pulled out of his car at an intersection in LA was beaten in such a crazy manner as retaliation for Rodney King he had bricks thrown at him the guy had like 71 skull fractures he wound up living somehow but we all watched that we thought that could never happen again outside of the Middle East, but no. There's a lot of these cases, and I'm trying to track them, but let's talk about two of them. A lot of you saw this case, this video of this tanker truck going down I-35, and it appeared like, and they wanted to say like, oh, like some white supremacist must have found out about a, a Black Lives Matter protest and just came and tried to do a murderous thing. And really what you saw is like he was confused and then when he saw he was going to hit someone, he slowed down and he rather than going forward and he knew they were going to beat him, he allowed himself to be taken out 
and they beat him. Luckily, he wasn't seriously injured. I mean, in some way in the end. But this guy to this day is still being held. It might be for his own good. And to my knowledge, nobody who beat him has been arrested. So now, here's the thing. There is now a fundamental right. If you happen to be black, and a black grievance, defined by the media, to block not just streets, but freeways. This is I-35 West out of Minneapolis. Demand that anyone stop for them, and then beat them out of their cars. And then the innocent drivers are the ones who get in trouble, not the murderous mobs. This is the sickness going on in our country. Bogdan Vichurko turned out he didn't even know. See, not only do they have a right to block it and you have to like somehow either avoid it or get beaten by them, you have to know where they are. Like, the, the thing is, this guy didn't know. They didn't yet put up the roadblocks. Now, they shouldn't have put up roadblocks. They should have dispersed the riot. But no, they have a right to do what they want. So the police would have accommodated with putting up roadblocks. They didn't put it up yet. The guy was just the first victim in the wrong place at the wrong time. It turns out he was actually on his way to dropping off fuel at a black-owned business. And, and kudos to this guy. His name is um, Lonnie McCurtain. After there was misinformation put out on, on social media, he put out on Twitter that he put out, quote, these people suck. The driver just left my store doing me, a black business owner, a favor. You should be ashamed of yourselves. And he told people to stay away from his business. Good for him. And can you imagine? With all this murderous guy plowing through a crowd. No. He was on his way from delivering fuel actually to a black business owner. According to John Harrington, the commissioner of the Department of Public Safety... His only crime was just speeding. And he was probably speeding because it was empty and he didn't realize why it was empty. We do have some info that he saw the crowd and initially he panicked and he just kept barreling forward. Then he saw a young woman on a bike fall down in front of him and he slammed on his brakes and he slid until the vehicle stopped. We know that the driver of the tanker truck was on the freeway already. He was on 94 already and he turned onto 35 before we got barricades or trucks there to block off his access. This was his second run of the day. He was running empty. There was no fuel in that tanker truck. Even according to the governor, listen listen to what the governor, Tim Waltz, says. That he said Bogdan Vichurko, quote, feels incredibly lucky that he did not kill someone. Adding that even though he was assaulted after stopping the 18-wheeler, he is really lucky Minnesota showed him of their better angels and did not get, and, and did not get killed. How, how, how magnanimous, so much grace. You know, this man that accidentally went into their um, anarchist checkpoint. How, and, you know, they were so nice that they didn't beat him to death. That, that is the attitude of our media now. That they have the right to shut down interstate travel? But it gets better. Gets better. I mean, there's been tons of these incidents. You could send them to me. I'm trying to collect them. But this guy is still being held, by the way. A trucker in Tulsa didn't want to suffer the same fate. So he just drove past this little checkpoint that the rioters set up in I, I, on I-244 I at a Tulsa. 
He was questioned by police when they caught up with him and he was let go because he obviously did nothing wrong. Here's the way the, the, way the Tulsa World describes the incident. Now, Tulsa World, basically, you read the whole article and it's literally like they're the victims being placed in danger from these trucks and cars. And these people have no regard for life. They just, they're just driving. How dare that? Take your beating. So here, here's how they describe it. Now, you're, you're going to see in a minute, they let the cat out of the bag, what, what really happened. They try to make the guy out to be the aggressor and the crowd to be the victim, the, the rioters, but they actually let, let it out of the bag. Watch this. Quote, the crowd let a car driven by a black female pass through, and the pickup then attempted to follow the car. Protesters blocked the driver's path, and the man then placed a handgun on his dashboard, Simmons said. That angered protesters, who began throwing water bottles at the vehicle. The driver then accelerated through the crowd, said Simmons, who was standing near the vehicle when it happened. Quote, it was fast enough that I felt like I had to run, Simmons said. Everybody felt like they had to run. People scattered. It was like, how dare he try to fight back? Doesn't he know that he was told to stop by the new road patrol? But what was very clear, they let the cat out of the bag that he didn't have the right color of skin, evidently, like the motorist in front of him, and should have taken his beating like a man. This is the Sodom and Gomorrah we're living in. I'm sorry, but that is the racism that's going on here. We will not cower. We will not back down. We will not be intimidated out of speaking the truth on the proper proportion of, of narrative that's going on, the, the real crimes that are going on, the real injustice, the real data. Someone's got to speak the truth. I thank Tucker Carlson for doing a good job last night. Keep it up. But this is sick. And this leads me to the final point. A lot of these same conservative thumbsuckers, phony conservatives, are like, this is a state right issue. Trump shouldn't send in the military. First of all, he didn't get. He only did it in, um, what do you call that place? In, in Washington. And you see, by the way, the big difference between D.C. last night and New York and St. Louis. Because the military was brought in. Now, Trump did as I advised, which was to start in D.C., which is federally controlled, and then warn everyone else. But now he's got to come in everywhere else. The Insurrection Act of 1807 allows him to put it down without their permission. And I'm sorry, at some point, I'm, not, I'm sick of this business of they could violate 10 basic principles of life, liberty, property of everyone, anarchy, and then the president's constrained in an Amelia Bedelia reading of one thing. No, it doesn't work that way. But, I mean, you don't have to come on to that anyway. He has the full authority under the 1807 Act. You might not like that act. You might want it to be updated, but he has that authority. And there has never been a time where it's more justified. I want you guys to listen to this from George H.W. Bush, April 29th, 1992, with clear moral clarity announcing... He's sending the military to L.A. Take a listen. To restore order right now, there are 3,000 National Guardsmen on duty in the city of Los Angeles. Another 2,200 stand ready to provide immediate support. To supplement this effort, I've taken several additional actions. First, 
This morning, I've ordered the Justice Department to dispatch 1,000 federal riot-trained law enforcement officials to help restore order in Los Angeles beginning tonight. These officials include FBI SWAT teams, special riot control units of the U.S. Marshals Service, uh, the Border Patrol, and other federal law enforcement agencies. Second, another 1,000 federal law enforcement officials are on standby alert should they be needed. Third, early today, I directed 3,000 members of the 7th Infantry and 1,500 Marines to stand by at El Toro Air Station, California. Tonight, at the request of the governor and the mayor, I have committed these troops to help restore order. I'm also federalizing the National Guard, and I'm instructing General Colin Powell to place all those troops under a central command. What we saw last night and the night before in Los Angeles is not about civil rights. It's not about the great cause of equality that all Americans must uphold. It's not a message of protest. It's been the brutality of a mob, pure and simple. And let me assure you, I will use whatever force is necessary to restore order. What is going on in L.A. must and will stop. As your president, I guarantee you this violence will end. Folks, H.W. Bush is, is, the, is the idol of all these thumb-sucking Republican-oriented pundits. right? He's the ideal Republican in their mind. Look at how much we've drifted in terms of law and order from, the, from that era. It was very clear. We're not going to tolerate this. We have nothing to apologize for. If there, if anything, the beating was likely more racially motivated than this thing, and if anything, that was after an acquittal, whereas here there's unlikely to be one, and there's no evidence of an injustice. And that's it. But folks, that was mainly, if I remember correctly... One city. Now, it could be no one city has gotten quite as bad as L.A. did then, although it's getting pretty dicey in Manhattan and Minneapolis. I don't know. I mean, the media is covering it up, how much damage has been done. But if you look at the widespread nature, it's in all 50 states, mid-sized cities, smaller cities. It's everywhere. If this doesn't justify federal intervention, nothing does. I'm just sick of these thumb suckers. But again, the president, it was, a, it was good. But remember, the president's very good at theatrics. I get it. I like it. We all like icing. But we got to have the cake. He's got to follow through with it. We need the policy, not, the, not just the symbolism of marching, you know, with, with the attorney general to the, court, to the church. That was great. But, you know, now he's got to follow through with it. Here's the bottom line. You know, just a couple months ago, there was an epidemic of primarily African-American attacks on Jews in New York City. And unlike this one unjustified killing of a cop from a cop, the George Floyd case, where there's no racial animus or identity animus, at least evidence of it, what what does see what what likely from what we know happened is that there was a scuffle. He was very strong. He was on drugs. 
and the police, I mean, you got to put yourself in the, 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 their position and, and he just overreacted. So it's more of a situational overreaction problem. He seemed to have a history of brutality, this guy. So, which makes it even less about race. It's more about his modus operandi of policing. Whereas in the case of New York, I mean, they would say F and Jew, this and that. They were very clearly being targeted. Okay, this group of religious Jews, and mainly in Brooklyn, New York, were being targeted. And then, and then this was going on for years, certainly for a year or two, but really accelerating end of last year, beginning of this year. It only stopped because of the virus, you know, hitting New York hard. Do you, did you ever see a... um? A violent protest from Jews? Did that give all Jews a license to riot? Did the entire nation grieve with them? And that wasn't one victim. That was dozens upon dozens upon dozens of victims. Did everyone grieve with them? Was everyone who happened to be black held responsible for the actions of... Well, I was about to say one. It was a lot more than one, but still... You know, it's not a majority of, of you know, law-abiding African-Americans. No. The only thing I think you had was like one rally where you had, you know, the national anthem playing and speakers. And, you know, it wasn't like these marches where like, oh, we're just marching and you like, you know, incite violence and have people beating people. But I'm holding up a sign. So I'm just a peaceful protester next to the guy that, that that's doing the beatings. No. It's funny, people forget about that. Political amnesia. Well, you know what? I'm not going to forget about it. We will never, ever kneel or submit to an anarchist mob. We will not accede to a false premise about being too tough on crime, about somehow injustice in a system that if anything goes too weak, particularly against African-American criminals, to the detriment of the overwhelming majority of African-American law-abiding citizens, it's time to flatten the curve of violence. Folks, we'll have a lot more in the coming week. Signing up at our Facebook page, Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary. Tweet me at Conservative. You could uh, email me at dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and make sure you're carrying a weapon. Yeah.